Hello, everyone. It is Free Kayla, the host of the Big Kids Podcast, a podcast that encourages you to ask strangers in the grocery store really rude questions. We're here trying to figure out something about adulthood. Who knows what it is because we're all confused and our parents failed us. Okay, welcome back. It's me, Kayla, and you're on part two of the clothes money script. I have no idea if if I'm even pronouncing that right, but at this point, whatever. It's too late. I've pronounced it wrong for too long, or I'm pronouncing it right, and I am a genius. So in the last episode, we went through the money scripts, which is this these four category theory that you fall into one of the money scripts, and that is how you base a lot of your financial choices, and a lot of it stems from childhood and our parents' relationship with money, as well as just our general psychology. So in the last episode, I went through all of the questions on one of these surveys to kind of see where I fall into and if I fall into any of these money scripts. And I just want to give kind of a little bit more information that money scripts are usually learned in your childhood. They're unconscious biases that we have towards money. Sometimes it can get passed down from even further generations, like your mama's mama and your mama's mama's mama. And it's often just partial truths. They're not intense things that you fully believe, but you might be just absolutely un- sub- it's in your subconscious. And according to the script theory is that they're responsible for our financial outcomes, which is true, but sometimes money is just dumb luck. So I have unfortunate news for you because scores lower than or equal to three suggest that you do not exhibit the money script for all of these. Scores between three and four suggest that you exhibit some characteristics of the money script, and scores higher than four suggest suggest that you exhibit many of the characteristics of the money script. And my results are absolutely underwhelming. For money worship, I got a 2.83. This was my highest one, so that might be what I fall into the most. And as we know, money worshippers, they believe that the key to happiness, the solutions to all of their problems, is to just have more money. And I'm a firm believer in abundance. I think that it's good to believe that you are worthy of money. Money is just a piece of the world that we are allowed to have access to and we're allowed to feel happy that we have access to it. The next one, money avoidance, I got a 2.09. And as we talked about, money avoidance is the belief that money's bad. Uh, People that are money avoiders believe that money is corrupt. Wealthy people are corrupt. And there's a lot of virtue in living with less money. I know for a fact that I don't entirely believe in this concept. It also says that research has found that money avoidance can be associated with trying to not think about money, ignoring financial statements, overspending, enabling others financially, and having difficulty budgeting or setting a plan. And sometimes even occupations. That's really interesting. I should have also mentioned for money worshippers what they are prone to, and it's buying things in an attempt to achieve happiness. They're more likely to put work ahead of family, give or loan money to others, even though they can't afford to do so. So those are kind of the key defining factors. The next one, money status, I got a 1.43. So this was actually my lowest one. Uh, Money status seekers tend to link their self-worth with their net worth. They prioritize outward displays of wealth. And as a result, they may be at a risk of overspending. So they believe that having a virtuous life, the universe is going to take care of their financial needs. So it, it does make sense that I don't fall into this one very much, but... It says that many of these people have grown up in low, lower socioeconomic environments and or households that prioritize, prioritize the financial aspects of social standing, which is a really interesting thing to see. So those that scored higher in this area are likely to overspend. 
possibly gambling excessively, might be financially dependent on others and often hide their expenditures from their spouses. And as I've talked about previously, I think that money and relationships is so incredibly important. We know that it's important. And I do not like lying to my spouse. The final one is money vigilance, which I scored a little bit higher on this one. I got a 2.75. So people that are money vigilant are alert. They're very watchful. They're concerned about their financial health, and they believe that it's important to save. And for people to work for their money and not be given financial handouts, I said that I don't believe that statement, so whatever. So these are also people that are less likely to buy on credit. They can be kind of anxious about their financial futures. It inspires them to save, but they have a tendency to be discreet about their financial status with others. It's interesting that this one was high. Like I can see how it was high because I am a firm believer in saving and budgeting and not putting everything on credit cards. But at the same time, like I, I don't, I'm not discreet necessarily. I don't think it's rude to ask people about their spending habits. So it says that money vigilance does encourage saving and being frugal, but it can also lead to excessive wariness or anxiety that can prevent one from enjoying the benefits and sense of security that money can provide, which is true. You could probably ask Bo, that's my partner, be like, how, how is Kayla? Is she anxious? And no matter what, probably. And when it comes to money, yes, I am a very firm believer in saving and sometimes it can overcome my life, but it's... Uh, so it's interesting. Anyways, the whole point of doing this was just to show you some of the outcomes and also highlight some of the areas. So at this point in this podcast episode, I want you to pause this. I want you to pause me. No more God speaking in your head. And I want you to go to the link that I've attached on the description of this episode. And I want you to go in and actually do the money script test and see what your results are. And from there, we're going to kind of do a couple things. So grab your pen and paper, and we're going to get a little bit of therapy today. Here's my elevator music for while you prepare to pause. Okay, welcome back. You're probably going to get a little bit more elevator music because there's going to be a few times that we need to pause so that we can kind of go through the steps here. So now that you have your results, I want you to look at them and I want you to identify which of these four categories you're falling into and to really just think about it for a moment. So if you have that in your head, our first step that we're going to do, I want you to have your pen and paper. We're going to identify what our money beliefs are and we're going to write them down. So I want you to take a couple minutes here to just jot down some subconscious, the first couple things that pop in your head when it comes to what your money beliefs are, and I want you to write them down, and I'm going to do the same thing. Okay, welcome back. So if you have your identifications down, I'm just going to read out mine. So I tried to be as honest as possible while doing this, and mine are, I believe that money and money management is a privilege and that it must be done well. It is important for me to save. I don't want to be like my bad examples, and I desire more money than my family. So to give a little bit of insight into this, I am the product of teenagers. My parents were both very young when they had me, and neither of them to this day are very good with money. They, they don't have savings accounts, and I'm not exposing them. I know that they did the best that they could with what they had, but it's they were not my financial teachers by any means. I would not take probably either of their financial advices at all. 
one in particular less than the other one, but I'm going to let them figure that out if they ever hear this. So those are like my firm beliefs. I don't want to be in the position that I was as a child and stressed about money. And I remember just, I was a little bit of a stress case, always have been a bit of a basket case. And money is like the perfect thing for me to put my attention to because it's something feasible that I can work with and kind of have some control over. Everything else is uncontrollable to a degree. So those were my desires, I mean my beliefs and my thought processes behind it, which is actually kind of interesting because I did have to sit back and think about it and process this information a little bit deeper to be like very authentic about it. And it wasn't really what I was expecting, but I, you know, I'm going with it. So the next step is to identify our financial goals. So we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to figure out like, where do you want to be in five years? What are your goals with money? And what are, yeah, what's, what's the end goal? Okay, so I went through my goals and some of these are quite large. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're five-year goals, so but whatever. So my money goals are be a millionaire, point blank. It's as simple as that. Have enough money to bootstrap startups with just equity. I don't want to take out business loans, but I have a lot of startup ideas that eventually I would like to do. Have enough money to travel whenever and wherever. This has always been the biggest goal and continues to be the biggest goal. And be mortgage-free, which also probably isn't going to be in the next five years, but either way, it's a goal. So now we want to look at our goals, and then we want to also look at our beliefs that we have, our money beliefs, and see how they correlate. And we want to observe the financial decisions that we usually make in our day-to-day life and kind of start to notice the relationship between our beliefs and our financial decisions. And I'm going to also take a couple minutes to just think on this and give you my personal idea for myself. Okay, so I thought about it for a little bit. And I think for me, like not wanting to be like my bad examples might be something that holds me back because I do think that it creates a bit of fear, a little bit of avoidance here where I need to just save and save and save and not really have fun with my money. But then I also can backslide into the opposite where I'm spending way too much because it's like a diet. You are restricting yourself from indulging. And then as soon as you have even the slightest opportunity to opportunity to indulge, it's just an endless stream of indulgence. And I do that a lot. I Even with our house, once we bought it, I all of a sudden had this opportunity to spend some money here and there. And it was like four months straight of just spending money on the most random stuff that I knew I didn't need. And then you go through like this weird withdrawal period where you feel guilty and you feel like you've made a bad decision. And there's a lot that goes into it. So now I want to kind of go through Finmaster's tips for each of these four categories. And I want to encourage you over the next while to keep thinking about this and keep thinking about how your relationship with money and your subconscious beliefs affect the way that you deal with money and how you handle your finances. Because I think there's a lot of power in acknowledging where we have these subconscious beliefs and they sometimes are just passed down. I still have a lot of weird money beliefs from my parents after even just saying that I don't want to be financially like them at all. But there's still those beliefs because we can't avoid how we were raised and sometimes the information that we take in is, it lasts. On Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast, she had on David Eagleman, 
and he's a neuroscientist, also a New York Times bestselling author, which is just a fun fact. And he's done a couple TED Talks. But either way, I really encourage you to listen to this because I think that it's so interesting how memories are formed. And in this podcast, David is talking about just the malleability and the neuroplasticity and how our initial memories will actually go deeper through the layers of the brain and the layers of memory that are built. And I'm totally probably saying this wrong. I'm not a neuroscientist. But I think when it comes to the initial things that were taught in childhood, they can really just continue developing and they permeate the brain. As you start to develop more memories, those subconscious thoughts, because of either the advice or the type of parents that you had or the environment you grew up in, really permeate. And of course, our brain health is so important and there's so many aspects of the brain. David also talks about in that podcast that doing new random things and really challenging things is one of the main components of keeping your brain healthy as you get older and really developing and starting new habits and making a change for yourself is so good for your brain. And I I know it's hard. I'm a creature of habit and also a opinionated and get stuck in my ways. So doing new things and changing kind of those routines and those rituals is hard, but it's really important for the long term. And I think that really dialing in on your relationship with money is such a component of that because money is a huge part of our lives. And we still think it's so taboo to even consider money as a piece of who we are, but it's something that we manage. It's an asset that we have or don't have. And it really is detrimental to not only our mental health, but the overall value of how we see our life. So let's look at these tips that Finn Masters has put up. The first one is for the money avoiders. Don't say that I don't deserve to be rich or good people don't care about money or shouldn't care about money or I don't deserve money when others have less. Instead, say I deserve financial freedom and abundance. Good people can be financially secure. I can live well and help those less fortunate at the same time. Along with these beliefs, these are the actionable steps that are encouraged. Stop living in denial about your current financial situation and stop ignoring your financial statements. Learn how to budget your money. And in regards to that, I always suggest you need a budget. Set long-term financial goals and check on your progress regularly and learn how to save your money and become financially independent. The second tips are for our money worshipers. So to break out of this mentality, it's not easy, but it's possible. You can start by learning how to not overspend, learn how to stop making impulse purchases, use mindfulness to spend wisely, And don't put everything on your credit card or at least learn how to spend on your credit card wisely. Put your personal relationships before work and the pursuit of money. The most important tip that they mention is detaching your happiness from the concept of money. You want to find happiness and freedom outside of the freedom and happiness that you think money is going to bring. And to work with doing meaningful activities, spending time with your loved ones, starting a new hobby that you enjoy, or giving to those in need if you have the means. Now moving on to our money status tips. So as with the money worshiper, they say that you need to detach your self-worth from how much money you have or don't have. You want to work towards financial security, not to prove your status. 
Start spending with intention and don't spend to impress others or to appear wealthy or to boost your self-worth. And start discussing finances with your partner and be honest. You want to learn how to not define others by how much money they have as well. And this will help you perceive their success in different ways and not just attached to how much money they have or what their net worth is. Lastly, money vigilance for our vigilant money havers. It says that being cautious with your money is generally associated with healthy money habits, but being overly cautious can take out a lot of the joy of what it means to be a human being. And when you become afraid to spend your money, what's the point of even having it in the first place? So you want to learn how to have more of a balance. You can start by spending money on some things that you enjoy, like a holiday or a nice dinner or a new outfit, and you can still be smart with your money habits in the meantime, but it's okay to spend and to see that you're worth having some money spent on you, even if it's just coming from yourself. Just my personal hot take as we're kind of wrapping up this episode, and something that I've been thinking about more and more is... I find that there's such a pressure with being young and understanding tech and knowing how the internet works and all these things. And constantly, I think, like, I feel like I have wasted potential. And I'm sure a lot of us can agree with this, especially when you're a person that can get paralyzed. I will sometimes just get analysis paralysis and I will shut down and be like, no, I'm not doing anything. I am useless at this point in my life. And this pressure, I thought the other day, I was like, I can't wait for just the pressure of youth to disappear. And I don't even know if it's going to. But I think that that belief also just comes from how I deal with money and how I view money and how I view success and how a lot of us view it, especially with like hustle culture. It's so exhausting. You can't even casually have just a hobby anymore without the world being like, make it into money, make money out of that. Where it's like, I can't just enjoy. I can't just sit back and use my hands and enjoy what I'm doing and not worry about whether it's going to turn a profit or not. I'm not a mule. My father used to always say to me, because uh, fun fact, I, I like to paint. I like to draw. And I will say like I'm generally skilled in it, but it was never like my my passion. It was never my passion to be an artist or to paint for a living or to create. And I remember always being so frustrated by this because – it was just something that I enjoyed doing to calm my mind and when I was feeling creative and I needed an outlet, but I never cared to do it as a job and I never even saw it as an opportunity to make money. And sure, it could, but I've made it a point to like not make it something that it's not. And I'm sure you can probably relate to that. You probably have a hobby that you're skilled in or hobbies that you enjoy and you've looked at it a million times and been like, how can I make a profit off of this? I know that society is now telling us that it's just wrong to have hobbies that don't generate an income where I think it's perfectly fine. I love my side hustles and it's fun to make money and it's especially convenient when money is a hobby. But outside of that, it's okay for us to just calm down and sit back and breathe and take the pressure off and not worry about it so much. And it's just, it sits so heavy. Money things sit so heavy. So I encourage you to just be gentle with yourself 
and to take a breath and not worry about it all so much. There is so much to life outside of money and making money and turning every single feasible hobby in the world into some type of money-generating machine. We are not robots. We are human beings with a desire to connect to each other and a desire to think deeply and feel deeply and just enjoy what we're doing. And besides, a lot of the world's best artists that we still refer to as history's best of the best, we're just doing it for fun. We're just doing it because they had a knack for it. They were out finding berries in the bushes and grinding it up and turning it into artwork. And now they, they had no concept that hundreds of years into the future, their art would be just absolutely revered by millions of people. And that's okay. There's a joy in just doing something because you enjoy to do it and because you have a skill in it, but it doesn't need to be money-making. Either way, I know that you don't listen to me because, I, because I'm fluid and everything I say ties so perfectly up together. I know you listen to me because it's like a jumbled mess of chaos, but somewhere in there you're probably like, that was okay. That was good. Thanks. So either way, thank you so much for listening again to this episode. And I, I want you to sit on it for a bit. I think it's important and I'm going to have a lot more episodes that kind of touch down on the psychology of finances. Last season was a lot of just the the real fundamental pieces of finances and this one I want to just delve into that more. And and like I said, having hobbies, they don't always have to be about money and because this is my hobby, not every episode is going to be only finances. But either way, have a wonderful week.